who are not Christians. There is nothing defective about their doctrine, yet they are still completely disconnected from God. They know about Jesus, they assent to Jesus, but they have never trusted in Jesus. And this is evident from the way they live their lives. Last week we looked at verse, beginning in verse 21 through to the end of verse 30 of John chapter 8. You'll remember that Jesus has arrived back in the city of Jerusalem, well, back in the early part of John chapter 7. He's returned to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of booze or festival of tabernacles. It was an annual festival that required all Jewish men to return to the city of Jerusalem and present themselves before their God at the temple there. The seven-day celebration had just ended prior to verse 21 of John chapter 8. And as we come to that verse, that section in John chapter 8, it seems that Jesus is growing weary of the opposition that he's finding with these Pharisees, these religious leaders. Remember, his crucifixion is less than six months away. Perhaps he was just growing tired of that insistent opposition their willful rejection, no longer ignorance, but willful, premeditated desire to end his life and ministry. In verses 21 to 30, we discover Jesus' most direct, in-your-face confrontation to date. Look at verse 21. Then he said to, again to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin, because where I am going, you cannot come. Look at verse 23. And he was saying to them, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you, that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is confronting them like he never has before. And yet notice how this section ends in verse 30. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Interesting. Now is that an Archie Bunker? I'm an American. Am I not? Type belief? Or is it, are these people believers in the sense that, that quote, that they fill our pews on, on Sunday morning? They have all the right doctrine. Maybe it's a John chapter 2, verse 23 type believer. The kind that Jesus would not entrust himself to because he knew what was in their hearts. Or maybe it's a John chapter 6, verse 66 kind of disciple. Remember those? who withdrew, were no longer walking with him because he was teaching difficult things? Or are these genuine believers, the real deal? 
Are these truly disciples of Jesus? It's a good question. And that's the question that is going to be answered this morning in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 47. Jesus provides us with the litmus test, the smell test, four qualities or features or traits that mark genuine believers. And as a result, you and I can know who are truly his disciples. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, I trust that you've turned to John chapter 8. I'd like to now, if you're able, to invite you to stand with me for the reading from God's word this morning. Beginning at verse 31 of John chapter 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Which I heard from the Father, which I've heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father, they said to him. We were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative. But he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. May God help us to understand this portion scripture and then respond appropriately. You may be seated. Let me pray for us as we 
approach God's word this morning. Father, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy of all of our praise and worship. Forgive us for our failures to acknowledge you, for turning to idols, for looking to substitutes rather than trusting you when life presses in on us. As we approach your word this morning, the psalmist reminds us the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Father, may that become our testimony as we consider this episode in John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. May your spirit help us to understand your word, this divine self-disclosure. May we be encouraged and affirmed in those areas where we've got it right, where we've been obedient. But convict us in the areas where we need to be corrected. And then empower us so that we're able to live lives that please you and accomplish your plans and purposes for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus wants you to know who are truly his disciples. Did you notice those if statements scattered throughout that passage of Scripture? You may want to take your copy of the the scriptures, and circle those if comments. If you continue in my word, verse 31, verse 36, if the Son makes you free, verse 39, if you are Abraham's children, and verse 42, if God were your father, four if statements. And those are the statements that help me to identify those four markers or traits that Jesus used to identify those who, in his own words, are truly disciples of mine. You'll remember that the Greek word translated disciple just simply means student or learner or follower. And so a disciple remains a disciple as long as he continues to follow the instruction of his or her teacher. When they stop following, they are no longer disciples of that teacher. Additionally, I need to point out that we're talking about the identifying marks or the traits, those unique features, those distinguishing behaviors that mark or characterize a true disciple of Jesus. How a true disciple would conduct himself. We are not talking about how someone becomes 
a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So with those two clarifications in mind, the first identifier is true disciples of Jesus continue in his word. Look at verses 33 and 34 again. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have, or sorry, 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The New International Version translates that phrase, if you hold to my teaching. So what does it mean to continue in or to hold to Jesus' word? The Greek word translated continue in the New American Standard Bible and then in the NIV hold to can also be translated to remain or to abide. That same word is found in John chapter 15. Let's turn there for a moment. It's the exact same word. John chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Notice verse 4 of John chapter 15. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Same word. And so, a true believer's relationship to the word is the same kind of relationship that a branch has to the vine. And think about that. That's a pretty dependent relationship. All its nourishment comes from the vine. If it's separated, the branch becomes separated from the vine, it dies. It's like that lifeline that we saw on the video, right? When those kids were going through the rapids. The rope became a lifeline. The vine becomes a lifeline to the branch, and the Word of God becomes our lifeline for the disciple of Jesus Christ. There are other scriptures that speak of a believer's relationship to the Word of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the Word of God richly dwell in you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Like, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word. Psalm 119 is a psalm that talks about the law of God, the Word of God, the statutes of God, all meaning the same thing. In verse 11, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 103, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. So regardless of what we may think, what makes sense to us from our perspective, regardless of our circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, regardless of what others may be whispering in our ear, or what the culture may be promoting or, or 
trying to impose. True disciples will continue in, hold on to for dear life, remain, abide in his word. Because that's what true disciples do. And I don't think we need to confine the continuing in my word to the red letters in those red letter edition Bibles. True disciples are taking advantage of every opportunity to be exposed to the contents of this book. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped. Remember that hand illustration we talked about a number of months ago? How does it start? Hearing, reading, studying, memorizing, meditating. That gives us a firm hold on this book. True disciples develop habits that expose them and allow them to hang on the contents of the Word of God. Look again at verse 32. Jesus mentions two additional advantages to continuing in His Word. So not only will we know, have an assurance, a great confidence that we are truly His disciples, not only that, We will know the truth, the truth about God, his person, who he is, his plans and his purpose. We'll know the truth about ourselves, about humanity, what we're really like. We'll know the truth about sin and redemption. We'll know the truth about life and death, truth about heaven and hell. Like I said this past week, I've been reading a book titled The Story of Reality. What it does is it presents a biblical worldview. And its premise is that every one of us have a worldview. How we understand or, or make sense of this world around us. Every one of us do. The question is, what is the basis of your worldview? And his premise is that if we base it on God's special revelation, it's the story of reality. Because it's based on truth. And it is the only story of reality. So there's truth, and then finally the second benefit, or the third, is that truth will lead to freedom. And that brings us to our second identifying mark of a true disciple of Jesus, freedom. Look at verses 33. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is that? How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, 
you will be free indeed. These Jews were a proud bunch, weren't they? Religious leaders of the day. After all, they were descendants of the great Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. What? Are you kidding me? What about Egypt? What about Babylon? Syria, Assyria? My goodness, let's talk about the Romans, even on this very day. Perhaps they were claiming freedom as God's chosen people, regardless of the external environment or circumstances. Look at verse 35 again. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. And so perhaps they were claiming the security and privilege that came from being a descendant of the great Abraham. But this kind of denial, failure to recognize their spiritual need or spiritual reality, makes people unreachable. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force him to drink, right? They were not sons. They were, in fact, slaves. Jesus informs them in verse 34, Truly, truly. And we know that whenever he starts a sentence with truly, truly, he's saying this is the absolute truth. You need to pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. You're not the sons you think you are. Safe and secure from all alarms, leaning on those everlasting arms. They weren't leaning on those everlasting arms. They were leaning on their family heritage, on their DNA. And that makes them slaves of sin, not the sons of God that they were claiming to be. Now, there's a difference between being free from sin and being free from the bondage or the slavery of sin. In this life, you and I will never be free from sin. We will sin. True disciples of Jesus sin. But being a slave to sin is something entirely different. The word translated commits in verse 34, commits sin as a slave to sin, is in the present tense. It's a participle. And what it means is that it's habitual sin, continual sin, that sin was a defining reality of their lives. And how did they, they find themselves in this kind of predicament? Well, you won't be surprised to learn. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says that people find themselves in this predicament because of Adam. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Adam and Eve, because of their willful act 
of disobedience became sinners. And from that point on, produced children in their own image. We are all born sinners, sinners by nature. We don't become sinners when we commit our first so-called sin. Psalm chapter 51 verse 5 reads, For I was born, in, born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. The psalmist didn't have to commit an act, didn't have to do anything. In theological terms, it's called the depravity of man. We are born slaves of sin. Sin is our master. But Jesus, in verse 36, so if the Son of Man makes you free, you will be free indeed. Claims to hold the, the keys to our bondage that will set us free. We do not need to live as slaves a moment longer. The Son ensures our freedom from the bondage of sin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Romans 6, verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Verse 18, And having been freed from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. True disciples of Jesus find sin increasingly detestable and distasteful. Fulfilling their sinful appetites becoming, it becomes less and less appealing as they spend time in God's Word. And when they fail, commit sin, they're quick to confess their sins and cling to the promise that he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most of you get all this. You know exactly what I'm talking about because you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ. True disciples continue in his word and they're free from the bondage of sin. The third marker, true disciples of Jesus do the deeds of Abraham. Look at verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man has who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. What are the deeds of Abraham? One commentator offers this. When Abraham tr heard the truth, although he lived in an idolatrous and pagan world, he responded with obedience. That was his distinguishing mark. He heard the truth, took it to himself, and became obedient. Turn with me to that Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews chapter 11. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse, beginning at verse 8. 
It lists all these people of faith from the Old Testament. In in verse 8 of Hebrews chapter 11, we find Abraham named by name. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Drop down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. Two examples from Abraham's life that set him apart as a man of faith. Abraham left his home not knowing where he was going. He was willing to sacrifice his one and only son of promise, Isaac. What a contrast. Abraham was willing to respond to God's leadership in his life, choosing to place his full trust in God. These Jews, these religious leaders, with the Son of God standing right before them, God dressed in human flesh, performing all kinds of signs and wonders over the last two years, teaching with authority that they had never experienced before. We're seeking all the more to kill him. James is clear in chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith or claim to have faith or claim to be a disciple of Jesus, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Verse 17. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Little boy was wandered over to his pastor's house where the pastor was doing some carpentry work in his garage. The little boy just stood there watching. Time ticked on and the pastor was kind of, well, this is getting weird. So he turned to the little guy and he said, son, are you trying to pick up some pointers on how to build something? Little guy looked at him, nope. I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he strikes himself with a hammer. (laughs) Our words and our deeds, our actions and our reactions, they expose who we really are. They reveal to whom we belong. And that brings us to our fourth and final identifier. Look at verse 41 to 47. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were born, we are not born fornicators. That might be a a stab at Jesus where he came from. We have one father, God. 
Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. True disciples of Jesus have God as their Father. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. But there is another option. Either God is your Father, or the devil is your father. Those are the only two options. God, devil. I don't want us to lose sight of the big picture here. So let me just suggest that perhaps we will return here to this end of this episode next week and really focus on the the enemy of our souls because I think it could become a distraction this morning. For our purposes here this morning, let me just give you kind of a a panoramic view of what Jesus is saying here in these final verses. True disciples of God, of, of Jesus, have God, who have God as their father, will, number one, love Jesus. Verse 42. If God were your father, you would love me, and you would hear and understand Jesus' words, in other words, the truth. Verse 43, why do you not understand what I am saying? Because you cannot hear my word. Those who do not have God as their father have a hearing impairment that hearing aids will not help. It will not solve the problem. It requires a heart transplant. Notice verse 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Loving Jesus is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling either. John chapter 14, verse 21 states it plainly. He who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will will reveal myself to him. True disciples, with God as their Father, love to listen to the words of Jesus with the intention of obeying him. They are prepared to surrender the leadership of their lives. They no longer are living only for themselves for what they think is right, for what is in the best interest, their best interest, or, or maybe the best interest of their family. They are motivated to live lives 
that will please Jesus. That's what disciples of Jesus do. True disciples continue in his word, are free from the bondage of sin, do the deeds of Abraham, and they have God as their father. And so true disciples of Jesus are known by their conduct, by how they behave, by how they live their lives. They will pass the litmus test. Listen to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 11. And I'm going to read it first in the New American Standard Bible Version and then in the New Living Translation. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself. If his conduct is pure and right, and now in the New Living Translation, even children are known by the way they act, whether their conduct is pure and whether it is right. We are known by the way we behave. When I stop to think about it, what is the number one qualifier for church leadership, according to the New Testament? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. In other words, his conduct, or his character, I should say, cannot be brought into question. He's not perfect, but his character is unquestionable. Jesus wants us to be able to know who are truly his disciples. So you and I are able to recognize and then celebrate who his true disciples are. And it begins with ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 offers this challenge. Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. And might I just suggest that we follow the psalmist's lead in this area of examining ourselves? Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Test yourself. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Secondly, because we can recognize who true disciples are, we can affirm one another. Cheer them on as you see these qualities in their life, these identifiers displayed in their lives. And when you don't, spur them on to love and good deeds. If there is a habit of disinterest or ungodly behavior that's consistent in the person's life, then love them as unbelievers and love them enough to share the gospel with them.
listen, I'm not who I ought to be. I'm not even who I want to be. Not yet. But I'm changing. Little by little, every day. Remember the chorus? Little by little, every day. He's changing me. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And by God's grace, I am what I am. A true disciple of Jesus Christ. And I know that. Because I'm continuing in his word. I'm free from the bondage of sin. Sin is not my master. Doing the deeds of Abraham, I am. And God is my father who is in heaven. I hope you can say the same. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you except through him. And as we study his life, may we find ourselves changing little by little, being conformed to his image. Prevent us from being like the man who looks at himself in the mirror and then goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I pray that each one of us would take the litmus test personally and then respond appropriately as your spirit enlightens our minds and empowers us to do just that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.